We are facing a mental health crisis, and it's more important than ever to have access to the support we need. That's why I'm grateful for BetterHelp, the largest online counseling platform in the world. BetterHelp is changing the way people get help with life challenges by providing convenient, discreet, and affordable access to licensed therapists. With BetterHelp, professional counseling is available anytime, anywhere from your smartphone, computer, or tablet. If you're looking for support, sign up today at BetterHelp.com. Use the promo code SOLVINGHEALTHCARE to get 10% off sign-up fees. That's BetterHelp.com, promo code SOLVINGHEALTHCARE. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. All right, solving healthcare, folks. We got an episode here that I've been waiting a long time to bring to the table because Dr. Jonathan Fitzsimmons is an innovator, folks, an innovator when it comes to healthcare delivery. I'm really proud of, of his team and what they're doing in Renfrew County. So without further ado, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really delighted to be here with you today. Absolutely. So listen, you have a formal, it's called VTAC, uh, a virtual platform for triaging. How did this come to? How did this come about? Because the, the the idea in, in principle is quite intuitive, but I don't see too many places doing anything similar to what Renfrew County is doing. No, I think that's a fair comment. Ren- Renfrew County has been a real uh, a real innovator here and has been right at the vanguard of um, uh, of, of virtual care and thinking outside of the box and trying to implement uh, uh, new ways of doing things um, to solve this crisis in in access to primary care, which uh, which affects. Uh, you know, at least one in five Canadians, and and in certain parts of of Ontario, much higher than that. Um, so VTAC, the, the Renfrew County Virtual Triage and Assessment Centre, now uh, commonly known as VTAC, is uh, is something that grew out of the pandemic. The pandemic. So when uh, COVID first hit, you know, we thought, well, how are we going to serve all of the population of the largest county in Ontario? Uh, which is the most underserved in terms of primary care and has no walk-in centres or urgent care clinics 
so a significant proportion of the population relies on the emergency department for any and every access to healthcare. And so a group of, uh, of leaders, of healthcare leaders from across the county got together to discuss how would we support people at the start of this pandemic, given we were so tight on resources. Um, and, and I made a suggestion that was based on my experience in the UK of the after hours service uh, in the city that I worked where uh, when the doctor's office closed at the end of the day, patients were automatically diverted to this after hours service and then you could access a doctor by phone. Um, there were a small number of clinics across the city that stayed open if in-person care was needed. And there was a doctor mobile in a car to attend to any vulnerable housebound patients if, if they needed care, with the idea being keep people out of the emergency department if they don't need to be there. And so I kind of shared that with people and said, is there something we could do here to uh, to work in this way? Um, chief Mike Nolan, the chief of the paramedic service, was on the call and he said, well, you know, look, we've got paramedics all over the county. We could definitely help out with supporting, you know, that, that in-person option, that mobile option. We already have a footprint on the ground across the county. Um, the lead of the, the executive director of the Arm Prior Family Health Team said, we absolutely would be on board to support you administratively. Uh, the CEO of the hospital said, we've got the logistics, the finance, let, let's figure out how we do this. And everybody else on the call said, you know, we'll step forward. And I knew the family doctors would step forward at that point. I had absolutely no doubt that people would put their hand up and say, what can we do to help? Um, and so that was the basis of the idea. A few days later, we sort of fleshed it out a bit and, and talked about how we could really sort of put this forward as a proposal for a, a bespoke assessment centre that covered the whole of the county. And uh, yeah, 12 days after that first conversation, we had uh, an idea written out, uh, put it to the Ministry of Health, had it approved, had funding in place and started seeing our first patients. Um, with all of the IT and the backup and the physicians and the paramedics and everything in place. it's uh, It still amazes me. You know, uh, there are many things that, you know, have amazed people about what happened during the pandemic. But for me, though, those first 12 days of getting VTAC up and running is is something which I think is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Wow. Like, even just the idea that it happened within 12 days and the fact that there was so much buy-in to me, says a lot about your group, the docs around there, the clinicians, the paramedics, the, the team around there, like that alone warms my heart because you know their 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 intentions are in the right place. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you, you see that every day within your teams. You know, I'm sure your experience, uh, you know, in ICU is, is, is very much that, that people in a challenging clinical situation, you know, little petty politics get put aside. People just get on. We've got an emergency here. Let's pull together. Let's do this. How are we going to make it happen? What can I do to help? I mean, how many times did I hear in those 12 days, what can I do to help, Jonathan? You know, just tell me what you need. And, and I think what happened for us in that scenario was it went from that individual patient, you know, care, clinical care scenario to a system level. Everybody just had that same mentality that we see every day clinically, but they put it at a system level. I'm not going to worry about 
my sort of budget. I'm not going to worry about my political influence or my silo. This needs to happen for our county. We're all at the table. We're the ones that are going to make it happen. Let, let's make it happen. Um, and, you know, I look back now and think, it's easy to say who wasn't involved. You know, if I list off public health and pharmacies and primary care and emergency departments and mental health and palliative care, I'm bound to miss somebody out. It would be easier to say who wasn't involved in that process because it's a mm. very short list that, you know, you know, everybody was there. Everybody wanted to contribute and getting everybody on board like that meant we were able to move very quickly. Um, and, and to be fair, you know, pol politicians and bureaucrats get a hard time, quite rightly so in many cases. But um, in this scenario, they absolutely were the oil in the machine. You know, they made it happen. We had no obstacles. We were told how to apply, what the process was. It was approved. We went ahead. We, we did it. It, it. it was clinicians and bureaucrats and administrators and politicians working hand in glove. It was how it should work. <laughs> it took a pandemic and an emergency to make it happen that way, but it happened. It definitely gives you hope for the future that we can work together. So maybe run people through a, a typical scenario then that VTAC would be implemented. So virtual triage, like you know, as you said, you're in a county where a lot of people don't have family doctors, which is a national problem, especially yeah. in my city right now. It's about 25 percent of people are lacking in family docs, primary care physicians. So what would like walk me through a scenario where they would they would contact VTAC and then and then what the result would be? Well, we've had this strap line at the very start, which was if you have an urgent health concern and you don't have a family doctor, or you can't access your regular primary care provider, then you can call VTAC and we will help you. And our goal is to keep people out of the emergency department or calling 911 if they don't need to, but also to avoid people just foregoing healthcare, just staying at home and suffering in silence. And then maybe presenting to the emergency department three or four days later when they end up getting admitted to hospital because things have progressed. So, you know, in March 2020, that was very much COVID related. It was, you know, how do we test people? How do we support them if they're symptomatic? How do we help advise them about the best course of action? Um, but we never ignored the fact that sometimes people were presenting with non-COVID or not overtly COVID symptoms. But if they were to go and spend eight hours sat in the emergency department, sat next to people with COVID symptoms you know, then it could become a COVID issue. So we always said, look, whatever your urgent health concern, if it's going to take you to the emergency department because you've no other option, we'll we'll deal with it through this new assessment centre with family doctors providing that care initially by virtual care. But if need be, we've got paramedics that we can link with and provide in-person support that way. And I guess that's our sort of unique selling point that's, you know, helped us um, stand apart from other virtual care telephone services is that we had an integrated component built in to say, if I need a paramedic to go to your home or if I need you to go to a physical site, we can get a paramedic to assess you and they can link in quickly with a physician if they need to. 
So the vast majority of the time, the physicians deal with the issue virtually. Um, but there are times where they say, look, I just can't see this through. You need somebody to um, to examine that joint that you've heard or to get a really sort of uh, um, a better look at this rash because the pictures you're sending me just aren't clear enough or somebody needs to feel that lump that you're trying to describe to me. Um, or these symptoms have persisted. They're ongoing, and now we really do need an in-person assessment. So that next step of saying, okay, I'm going to bring in a paramedic colleague here, they'll either do it themselves or they'll do it as a hybrid with the paramedic and the physician on a video link. And that, that is that extra layer that we're able to offer. And over the last three years, we, we just transitioned from being predominantly COVID with some other things to now, obviously, the vast majority of what we see is not COVID related at all. Um, it's essentially anything that could walk into any family doctor's office anywhere. Um, we will deal with that issue first and foremost with a family doctor working virtually because for many people, that's the only option apart from go to ED or don't get healthcare. Um, and we're running at a rate of less than 3% of our physician encounters where the result is the physician tells you, no, you do need to go to the ED or call 911. You know, I'll say that again, it's less than 3%. It's pretty wow. sort of impressive that, you, you know, our, our ED avoidance rates. Um, and about 10% of our encounters involve that paramedic hybrid, either at one of our assessment centers or physical assessment centers, or the paramedic going to someone's home if they're a vulnerable housebound patient. Um, but 90% of what we do is family doctors providing a phone or video assessment and dealing with that patient's issue, which is their urgent issue of the day, keeping them out of the ED and and avoiding them having to suffer at home without access to to healthcare. Wowie, wowie, folks. Listen, there's a lot of boxes that get ticked by such a program, right? The emergency wait emergency wait times, the access to a clinician period, the engagement with paramedics to to be able to add that that safety layer like there's so much benefit that i'm hearing from from implementing this and it's got to be cost effective i, I mean i don't know if, it might be hard to measure right now but honestly when you think about just the emerge room avoidance like it's been a while since i looked at this data but i think in ontario it was just under $500 per emerge visit like without doing anything just walking through the door for my for my memory yeah and so yeah that whole concept of the the resource utilization has got to be got to be juicy well we took it a step further so i i was uh i i was fortunate enough to be able to work with some of uh of ontario's leading primary care academics um so people like uh, Dr. Rick Glazier, Dr. Mike Green, Dr. Lise Berry, who are all full professors in family medicine and, and like I say, are some of Canada's leading primary care academics. And we were able to tap in and look at the uh, Ontario's population level health databases. Uh, it's an organization called um, ICES uh, that holds all of the sort of health outcome data uh, for Ontario. 
And so what we were able to do is, is, is look at that data in the couple of years before the pandemic and take the whole of Renfrew County and compare it to a couple of our neighbouring counties, similar demographics, similar rural, semi-urban um, relations, but not, not perfect, not a perfect absolute match, but very similar. And also we could compare it to the whole of Ontario. And what we found for the two years before the pandemic, so 2018, 2019, you, you couldn't get a piece of paper between the sort of costs per 100,000 patients for the, the residents of Renfrew County compared to Leeds, Lanark, Grenville County, Hastings, Prince Edward County. So these local sort of neighboring counties. And then we looked at the same data. So emergency department attendance, hospitalizations um, and total healthcare costs for the same three um, public health sort of geographic areas, those those counties, with, with Renfrew County being the only place that had VTAC and the other counties not having VTAC, and we saw a dramatic reduction in total healthcare costs, a dramatic reduction in, in emergency department visits, which is a driver of healthcare costs, but also hospital admissions. And it was something close to six and a half million dollars in that year um, of, of now dramatic reduction of Renfrew County compared to the neighbouring counties who previously had had almost identical healthcare costs. Now, you know, you know that's not uh, absolute proof of causation, but in terms of correlation of those things, it's the right timeline. It's a clear sort of single sort of uh, change that happened in that location. So it's strong. It's really strong evidence that this intervention led to that change. Um, and when you take away the cost of um, of running VTAC in that first year, which when you add in everything was around four and a half million dollars, you're still left with a couple of million dollars, even if those other counties hadn't spent anything on their assessment centers, which they did. We just didn't have the precise numbers, but let's assume it was zero. We're still saving a couple of million dollars for that year um, for one county in one province. Um, so I think what we were able to show is both the clinical impact, keeping people out of ED, reducing hospital admissions, um, but also the system savings. So the total healthcare cost reductions, um, and uh, and that that paper was uh, was actually recently published in the British Medical Journal. So it um, you know it, it clearly had an international um, impact feel to it as well. Bam, bam. I mean. Listeners know that's close to my heart. Looking at resource utilization because I think that's a currency of of decision makers. But as you heard Jonathan mention, when it comes to having a virtual triage system, you're having better clinical outcomes, less emerge visits, just a more holistic approach to their health, and you're netting about you. You have money left over, and and it. You have money left over and think about, yeah. you know, the one to two million that you got left over. Think about what you could do with that. Your your county needs to recruit some more nurses. Bam. Your area needs to get some more docs or incentivize some more docs. Bam. You want to invest in some primary prevention tools. Like for me, I'd love people to have access to high quality nutritionists, gyms, whatever it is to, for them to get healthy. Bam. That's just. And how, how many people in the region in the Renfrew County? Yeah, so the county's home to about 110,000 people. Hmm. 
and uh, you know they are a mix of uh, sort of semi-urban, um, rural, and some some quite remote communities. But uh, yeah, you know if you're saving, you know, like you say, close to two million dollars for a hundred thousand people, there's a lot you can do. And I, I agree with you. I would love to sort of look at all of those additional health promotion, disease prevention interventions that we know have a strong evidence base for. But I would even sort of say we need to start a bit earlier and say, well, let's put VTAC out of practice. Let's use that money to create more team-based, comprehensive primary care opportunities so everybody has access to a family doctor or team-based primary care. Because at that point, the need for VTAC becomes much less. You know, Then it's an after-hours service, it's an out-of-hours service, rather than trying to deal with 25,000 people that have no other option. Um, so that, that would be my sort of ultimate goal would be to say, how can we leverage what we're doing here with VTAC and transition it to a point where, you know, our goal should be everybody does have access to a family doctor and team-based comprehensive primary care. Hmm. And, and that was very much where, uh, VTAC sort of led, um, to assist the program uh, which we called integrated virtual care, which has now become embedded as part of the of the VTAC program, and that's yeah. where we do actually provide that. You know, we took we took those lessons that we learned from VTAC, give people access to a family doctor, make sure you've got in person supports if you can't deal with it virtually, um, and you know we didn't mention the other aspects of having a single electronic medical record, having that element of continuity, even if you're seeing a different provider, it's someone that can access your records straight away. VTAC absolutely does that. But what we did with integrated virtual care is we said, okay, we don't have enough doctors here locally, but we could perhaps access some doctors from somewhere else in the province. We can roster patients to that doctor. That's their family doctor. They work off-site, they see their patients predominantly remotely, but we've got a local family health team with nurse practitioners and dietitians and hmm. respiratory therapists and the community paramedics out on the ground. And now the patient is getting team-based, comprehensive primary care with a named doctor. Okay, it's not the same. It's not bricks and mortar. They don't walk to the clinic to see their doctor. But if they do need in-person care, we'll absolutely do that as part of the team and the group. It's a different way of thinking. It's an alternative to the traditional model. It's not 100% accepted by everyone. I, 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 you know, I acknowledge that. But when you look at the alternative, no family doctor, no primary care, not even close to some of that other stuff you were just talking about, about health promotion and disease prevention, you go to eMERGE or you don't get healthcare. Now what you have is a doctor who you know, you can speak to on the phone, you can do a video appointment. If you don't have good tech or you don't have high-speed internet access because you live rurally, you can come to your local clinic and we'll do the telemedicine from the clinic. If you need uh, one of your doctor's colleagues, physician or nurse practitioner to examine you and assess a specific issue, they'll do that and then they'll hand it back to your doctor. And you can speak to the counsellor and the respiratory therapist, the dietitian, and that whole team. Now you have comprehensive team-based primary care. And of course, those patients now don't call VTAC because they've got their own team. They've got their own doctor. My gracious, this is genius. I don't know if I, when we talked earlier, I don't know if this one registered to me about the, uh, um, what do you call it, IVC? 
IVC, Integrated Virtual Care. I don't think, yeah, maybe I didn't, I forgot about it or something because this is a, this is a game changer, man. Like, especially, okay, like, you guys got to, like, fully appreciate how brilliant this is because often when it comes to family health team, you're in, you know, you're in Scarborough, you're in uh, Mississauga, your local family doctor, everyone in that that family health, uh, that family doctor or that family health team, the list is loaded. They don't have room. But if, if it was just a matter of seeing maybe one of their allied health professionals, meaning nutritionist, physiotherapist, psychiatrist, psychologist, once in a while, that's a different story, right? So what if your virtual physician, your family doc was in Ottawa or was in Pembroke or was in Renfrew? You're seeing them virtually, but you have the tools locally. And then one day when this country gets its act together, this doc could be in Alberta, could be in Manitoba. This, this concept at scale is brilliant. It just gives you way more options and way more permutations and combinations on how you can access primary care. And once again, you want to yeah. avoid all the badness associated with acute care. It starts with having access to primary care. This, Jonathan, is oh, booyah. It's like uh, that's changing the bookie right there, my friend. Wow. Well, let, and let me give you a really sort of uh, simple example of of the difference that that can make. You know, if we, we've got close to... 2,500 patients now attached to an IVC doctor. Within the first six months, we went for cancer screening rates like in the boots, 20, 30% to in the 70%, you know, comparable, if not better than the sort of averages of people that have a doctor, you know, on site in their local sort of clinic. We referred, I think it was 50 people to a smoking cessation program. You know, people started to get access to primary care. They weren't just getting urgent episodic care anymore, which is an important pillar of primary care. Don't get me wrong. You know, acute episodic care is an important aspect of primary care. But personally, I've always felt that health promotion and disease prevention was the most important pillar of primary care. Because if you get that right, then the other, you know, the final aspect, chronic disease management becomes less of an issue because you've prevented those chronic diseases from developing in the first place. I'm realistic enough to realize we'll never get to 100%. People are always going to have some um, level of chronic diseases. There will always be ongoing medical conditions that we can help patients with. But if you get the, um, the health promotion, the disease prevention aspect right within primary care, then you absolutely reduce the chronic disease management requirements. And so then you're left with the acute episodic care. You know, I have an issue today. I'd really like to access my doctor in the next couple of days, you know, to, to talk about my concern. Um, that, that for me is primary care in a nutshell. That, that's what we should be focusing on. And if a quarter of the population or between a fifth and a quarter of the population have none of that, 
then we're really failing them and we're really setting ourselves up to have this increasing burden of chronic disease because they'll only present to the system through the emergency uh, or the hospital system when their chronic diseases are well established and in many cases undiagnosed. And so now we're into the case of all we can do is try our best to manage them. Whereas if we'd have started much, much earlier on in the process with access to primary care, having a family doctor that you get to know and you get to trust and you share your sort of healthcare needs and experience with, that doctor can then help you um, promote your own health and prevent you from ever developing these diseases. 100%. So you mentioned that, you know, when we talked about the, 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 when we talked about the cost, yes, you know, and I, I, I've said to people, look, you know, people have said, well, you know, that's down the line. You'll see those benefits. People are worried about the upfront costs. But, you know, as we just talked about, you get the instant savings as well. Um, and, and I'm not naive. I know that if somebody doesn't go to emerge, you know, the hospital doesn't magically get an extra $500 in the pot. There are sort of ongoing costs that that emergency department still incurs, whether somebody walks in the door or not. But, you know, if you start to reduce hospital admissions, if people doesn't present late with, a, with an issue in the emergency department, that does actually have cost savings immediately. You know, as we've shown with that, with that study through, through, for VTAC, you know, if you provide access to a family doctor, prompt access, then you save money immediately. But I've no doubt 10 years from now, if we rerun that study and look at the total healthcare costs, we'll see even more savings on the chronic disease side. Um, and that, that to me is the bigger win. You know, you get people attached to a family doctor and continuous long-term permanent primary care. That's when you start to solve the problem of chronic disease and long-term illness in our, in our population. A hundred percent. And just to touch on that, that point about, you know, uh, fixed costs and variable costs, I should, uh, I'd love to touch on this just for a half a second, folks. Like, yes, there's a lot of quote-unquote fixed costs in healthcare, whether you walk in the building or not, because you got to maintain it, you got a specific amount of funding, you got a baseline amount of nurses that you got to pay for. Yes, there's there's a lot of fixed costs associated with healthcare, but the variable cost, so the cost associated with seeing a patient in emerge, is is still significant, especially when we think about the overtime that's needed at at, at certain times of the year to try and f- make sure we have enough nursing staff to fund. Uh, the, the to make sure that the staff uh, in the emergency room do, department, like put it put it put it this way, there's at least this summer I'm aware of two emergency departments in Ontario that have had to close down because they don't have enough staff. You know what I mean? So yeah, from a cost, from a resource, and we collectively need to be like as Jonathan mentioned, there are short term savings but collectively we have to invest in long term i'm sorry like it's enough of this this not myopic view of how how we got to spend we got to think about the long-term impacts and invest in the preventative side because it it will pay off in dividends i promise you like when like when people landed when we talk about chronic disease and they see us in the icu their life is never the same it's it's completely transformed. You're and the amount of people that it impacts. Like, say you got your your you know 
mom, grandma, she's got their diabetic foot infection. It leads to a really bad uh, skin infection called cellulitis, and they land in ICU. So maybe they go on a ventilator. They're deconditioned. They're in hospital for three weeks, four weeks. Their loved ones aren't working because they have to take care of their loved ones. The amount of 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 secondary unintended consequences from that admission are insane. And so, yes, when we can have access to our family uh, family uh, physicians, our our, uh, our primary care teams, this this stuff is by no means is not going to be avoided altogether. But the risks of of th- things falling. Th- through the cracks are reduced. And so this is why I'm you hear the excitement in my voice, folks, because this is you don't hear people talk like this. What like where, where are you coming from? Like you said, <laughs> where, where were you working in uh when you said you were working in the UK, what's your town? So I uh I, I trained as a family doctor uh, well I went to medical school in Sheffield. Um but I, I worked in the city of Bristol. And so oh, yes, I was li- living yes. and working in Bristol, uh, yeah, both, both as a hospital doctor initially in the UK, uh, family doctors spend, uh, well, all, all newly qualified doctors spend two years doing a rotation in hospitals as a, as a foundation residency. And then you go on and do your, your specialty program. So it was after that that I, I did my, my family medicine specialty. Um, but I also, uh, I, I did, uh, I, in between those two programs, I, I took a year out of the National Health Service and, and, uh, and went to South America and worked in Bolivia for a year. And so I, I was working in a system uh, in rural communities, uh, pretty, pretty remote communities, um, mostly with the indigenous population and, and seeing the impact of no access to healthcare, but, uh, but doubly, you know, doubling the problem because no access to, to, to physicians or primary care or healthcare and having no safety net of a publicly funded healthcare system. So, you know, I, I went from the UK NHS, which is a publicly funded healthcare system where everybody has uh, um, care free at the point of access to working in uh, in a country that had none of that. So it wasn't just if you didn't have a doctor, it was if you didn't have any money, you didn't get any healthcare. Mm. And 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 I think, you know, that experience um it, you know taught me a lot and 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 weighed heavy on me. I'm a passionate advocate on publicly funded healthcare systems and I'm a passionate advocate for everybody having access to primary care. Um and, and I think that that experience of seeing what happens when certain communities don't get access to health care and you see that inequity, um, that, that's still very, you know, it, it's, goodness, yeah, 15, coming up to 20 years since it's, I first went out to Bolivia and, and, and 15 years since I, I spent that year working there. Um, but it, it's still a very strong driver for me that, that having some communities with no access to primary care, it's just not acceptable. Like we have to do something about that. We have to fix that. We have to do better. It's not okay to just keep the status quo. And so if that means doing something which is a bit different, which is a bit unusual, that maybe doesn't sit 100% with everyone, I get that. I understand it, but I will always, and I, you know, so I will acknowledge my critics on that that, you know, maybe this isn't uh, perfect for everyone. 
Um, but I will always push back hard and say, but not, neither is the current state. And, and I feel that us moving the needle 95% is, uh, is maybe not 100%, and we'll keep trying and we'll keep looking for improvements, but it's an awful lot better than zero. Um, mm. So I, I think we have reached the point where it's not okay to say 20% of, of Canadians don't have access to a family doctor. Um, let's be bold. Let's try different things. Let, let's be rigorous and evaluate it and, and look at what the outcomes are and speak to patients and speak to providers and look at the dollars. Um, I, I'm all for that. You know, let, let, let's evaluate new ideas rigorously but let's be bold. Let's try new things. Let, let's look at how we can do things differently. You know, I, I, I'm gonna, I'll give you an example of, uh, of, of another innovation example. So three or four years ago, people would have said, well, what could you see virtually? There are certain things that a virtual appointment is just not going to be good enough. You know, if, if a child's got ear pain, then you can't assess them virtually. Well, now what we have through VTAC and with IVC is we have some digital otoscopes. So if your child has ear pain, we do this hybrid of assessments. So you can go to an assessment center uh, where it's a paramedic. So, yeah, we're still short of doctors on the ground. But with a paramedic assessing the child, uh, taking vital signs and using a digital otoscope, the physician can now be sat anywhere in Ontario looking at their screen, getting a high definition view of an ear exam um, or a throat exam with a camera um, or a rash with a with a, um, a another sort of skin type camera or listening to heart sounds with a digital stethoscope or lung sounds. So, you know, we've just grasped the opportunities that new technology have offered us and like i say within three or four years we've gone from well you can't do that virtually to okay you can't do that just virtually but you bring in somebody who is with the patient doesn't have to be a physician in our case we use paramedics but it you know it could be other allied health professionals as well now you have this hybrid approach now you've got family doctors working with allied health professionals. You've got family doctors um, providing care virtually with a blend of in-person care. You've got people in clinic and you've got people at home. So it's a hybrid of hybrids. And I, I've, I've used that phrase before that, you know, it's, it's doing things differently, but we're giving people care. We're giving them access. We're moving the needle. We're making a difference. And I still haven't lost sight of the end point, which is everybody should have attachment to a family doctor and team-based comprehensive primary care. You know what, you do, what he's doing, folks, is he's being a real leader, which is novel in 2023. It's coming, you're leading from a place of your values and what's important. You, from the way you saw in Bolivia, where you saw in your clinical experience, you're telling yourself people need access to primary care if we're going to make a dent in their lives. Like, full stop. This is important. That is where we base our decisions, okay? We don't let the status quo limit us. We we don't let fear of, of being an outlier limit us. We look at where we need to go. And that's what this, these bold actions and thinking outside the box, because that was going to be one of my questions. Like, where do you get that? Like in our field, we don't, there's not many of us, I would say, 
like the, that that think in, in, innovatively or think outside the box and what and do, I was going to ask you what what drove that and, and I mean I'll let you answer that for yourself but I do think it comes from where your values are and that is a that that that's a centerpiece for you that's a north star but this is I, I'll tell you just I mean I've been in practice similar timeline as as John in here and and there is not many of us that think outside the box like even that whole idea of something's got to be like if it's not like one of the areas that it's hard to register for people is like oh virtual care is not great for everybody i'm like not everything has to be great for everybody it has to be great for some most but it's an option like we don't have to think of making everybody happy. We can't make everybody happy. It's not possible. But look at this is what I always say to people. Look at where you are now and then look where you could be with the with the next step and tell me if it's going to be better or worse. Straight up. And clearly, like in an example here with VTech and IVC, virtual platforms for accessing primary care, you are in a better spot. Full stop. This is this is where I, it drives me nuts when, when yeah. it comes to dealing with docs. Uh, I don't know if you feel you've had this similar experience. Well, I, I think the um, you know there's sometimes I, I think phrase you know don't let don't let perfection get in the way of progress is I think is very is very relevant. You know, and, and the pandemic allowed us to do that. There wasn't time to go through the usual process. You know, it, it was a um, a moment in time that allowed us to do this initially. Um, I, I hope it wasn't a unique moment in time. I hope we don't have to wait for some other um, global, you know, turn the world upside down events before we're able to sort of make real innovative change. I don't think we will. I think people are already on that sort of um, that path and recognizing that the situation is a crisis where, where so many people don't have primary care. Um, but I, I, you know, I wanted to just pick up on that point you made about, you know, not about virtual care or, or the IVC program where you don't actually, you know, in most cases, don't meet your doctor in your local clinic, not being right for everyone. But but the opposite is also true for some people, like having to go to the clinic and pay for parking or get your mum all sort of dressed up and get her out to the clinic when her you know, dementia is getting worse and it's a big traumatic event for her to, to, to do something like that. Or just you're a busy professional and trying to take half a day off work to go to the clinic and sit in the waiting room. Or you don't want to take your three kids because there's nobody to look after, you know, the other two and you just want to take one of them to the doctors. There are, there are many, many circumstances where people say having virtual care is much better for me than having to go to the clinic. You know, now I can have a telephone call or a, or a video chat with my doctor from my desk at work and I take 20 minutes out of work as opposed to half a day off work. Um, you know, now I can, um, you know, maybe somebody, the neighbor could pop in and just look after my other kids whilst I have an appointment from home with my kid that's actually sick with my doctor via video. Um, so I, I think there are plenty of circumstances where people will say, I prefer virtual care. At least I don't have to pay for parking now. I mean, I've heard mm. that so many times. Um, so again, you know, I acknowledge that it's not right for everybody, but I would also say that 
going to your you know your, your local clinic and seeing your doctor in person is not always right for everybody either um, you know what we try to do is say well how can we get to the closest hybrid the closest the, the closest blend of these different options you know and not make them as mutually exclusive let's make them all different tools in the same toolbox mm. um, because i would say that if you have a clinic in a you know if you have a practice in a clinic in a community you could also benefit from offering these sort of sort of virtual care options to your patients you know that if you like would be the 100 percent option you know you have a doctor in your community in your local clinic who does both in-person and virtual care options yeah mm. i agree that would be the 100 percent. you've moved the needle all the way at that point yeah my goodness jonathan you have left me inspired I I know we talked before. I've got I got to make sure you're talking to the right people locally here cuz especially that the IVC idea of of having a doctor like that is not in your same city but have access to the t- the tools and the resources within your own county or city is brilliant and I just want to commend you for once again outside the box thinking being a doer not just a like a chirper and leveraging tech, being like just coming from a great place and providing the optimal care for your your patients in the region. I think we can't say enough about you, bud. So I just really wanted to thank you for for joining us. This this meant a lot. Well, th- thank you, and I, and you know I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about what we're doing. Um, it's uh, it's an important message to get out there. Uh, I. You know, I, I, I'm presuming I put across, you know, I'm passionate about this. I, I do believe in it strongly. Um, and I think it's an important message to get out there that there are ways of doing things differently. Um, we can keep doing things uh, that work for sure. We don't have to change for change's sake. Um, but when things aren't working, let's be innovative. Let's think a bit differently. Let's try things and evaluate them and then you know, they can evolve and improve over time. Um, so, yeah, just having the opportunity uh, on your platform to, to share that message is important. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, Godcast, that was freaking awesome. So awesome. If you enjoyed that, please leave us any comments at quadcast99 at gmail.com. Leave a five-star rating. Follow us on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, at Quadcast jump on our newsletter jump on our community at qualcast.substack.com all things healthcare solutions all on one site y'all gonna love it all right people i hope you're feeling a little bit more jumping your step after that episode thanks for listening talk real soon peace